Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. Uh, Mark chapter 13, we'll be looking at verses 24 through 37 today. For this Christmas, this is the, the third year that I've done this, we'll be going through the lectionary texts. Um, those run on a three-year cycle that tries to give us a different uh, focus of different seasons each year. Uh, one has a focus on, on the Song of Simeon um, and Anna. Another has um, Mary's song, the Magnificat. Um, this is the year where we have a focus that will start next week with John the Baptist. And so we seem to maybe start in a strange place this morning with Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. And yet, this is God's Word that we will dig into and find and understand why this is a fitting text to start Advent, this season of expectation of Christmas morning with. So as we engage Mark 13 together, let's pray for God's Holy Spirit to be here among us to illuminate the words to us. Let's pray. Lord, in this Christmas spirit, may we be reminded that you are the light that has come into the world. And the darkness cannot overcome it. May you light our path with your word. May you light our hearts with the burning fire of your Holy Spirit. May you light our way with your presence and your peace and the glory and splendor of your kingdom. Lord, be our light. Speak to us by the power of your your Holy Spirit. For we, your servants, listen. Amen. Mark 13, verses 24 through 37. Jesus said, But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So maybe this is a bit jarring for the first Sunday of Advent. 
We're expecting uh, to hear more about the shepherds who watch their fields by night, or maybe uh, the, the wise men from the east coming to give their gifts. Um, we're expecting manger scenes and, and news about King Herod and his fear. Uh, but instead, this year, we start Advent with this apocalyptic text from Mark where Jesus is describing the the coming of the Son of Man. He's describing his own second coming. Why does this make sense to start here, of all places? Because there are two Advents. There is the Advent that already happened when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And there is the Advent that has not yet come to be, when Christ returns and makes all things new. There is the already, and there is the not yet. There is the foundation of our hope and faith that has occurred, and there is also the hope and faith, equally sound, that we have for the future, when Christ shall return and make all things new. We live in what could be described theologically as the already and the not yet. We live between the two advents of Christ. And so using a text like Mark 13 reminds us there is a second coming. And so just as we remember and go through the story of the first coming of Christ, we also learn attentively lessons on how we today keep watch for the second coming, the second advent of Christ. There is the first, which was local and particular, And there is the second, which is global and universal. The first advent is meant to be shared with the whole world because the second advent will come to the whole world. There are two different advents. And sometimes it's easy to get smug about thinking about how those silly people in the ancient Near East just didn't see Jesus coming in the way he showed up as as a humble baby laid in a manger for there was no room in the inn. We'll get there at Christmas and the Christmas Eve service. But Jesus also maybe gives us a reminder that we shouldn't be too smug about the first Advent because we might not see the second one coming either, even as we're given this repeated invitation to keep watch. Like servants who are put in charge of the house while the master is away, this is our task. Be diligent to your task, but keep watch for the master's return. For you don't want to be sleeping when he comes home. It's like if your parents told you to clean the house and you took a nap instead. It's okay if you're still cleaning when they get home, but if you're just on the couch taking a nap when they return, bad news. I'm not just saying that because my parents are here today. I think it's just a good example. (laughs) Jesus uses this analogy. Jesus, who has already engaged the first advent and is headed on his way to the cross to die for our sins and for our salvation and to rise again that he may be life and offer eternal life to us. The first advent has happened. But after, the, after this is all done and the people, all of us today, are waiting for the second advent, we are the servants put in charge of the house And of course, the house is the whole world which is meant for Christ's kingdom, for the earth is the Lord's footstool. And so we wait. We're diligent in our task. And and Advent, a season like this, is to remind us the kind of diligent and faithful waiting that we do. 
and what we do while we wait, which is share the good news of the first advent. Because you don't have to look too far to know that we live in a world that needs hope and a world that maybe needs to be frightened every now and then in the right ways. Jesus delivers just that. The first advent and the second advent do mirror each other. There's a smaller fulfillment and a larger fulfillment. And so consider that everything that we read in this text in Mark has already happened for the first advent to a degree and will take place again with the second coming of Christ. Consider that at that time, men will see, this is in verse 26, the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. The shepherds, watching the flocks in their fields by night, saw the great glory of heaven as the heavenly host cried out to them right in the darkness of their fields. They weren't watching, they weren't waiting, but the good news came to them. He will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. The first advent went to one spot, and then Jesus commissioned them to tell this good news to all the ends of the earth. But in the second advent, in the second coming of Christ, at Christ's return, all people, all the elect, all who are children of God are gathered from all the four winds. Then Jesus talks about the fig tree, a common example, one that would be accessible, one that people would see. You can see when the tree is ready to go in to summer. And so you watch it. You watch the slow changes, and you'll see the signs. But Jesus also gives us a lot of caution that you never actually know the hour. So even as Advent, as we, as we are Christians who look forward to the second coming of Christ, what we hold on to is that even as we're told to watch, we're also told, you won't be able to predict when this is going to happen. You could see all the signs, and you still won't know the hour. Neither the angels nor the Son, but only the Father knows that hour. So every few years when someone comes out and says they know exactly when Christ is going to return, you just know that they're wrong. That's not the type of waiting that God gave us, not a predictable equation, but one that is based on faith, that the Lord who began a good work in us will return and bring it to completion, that the first advent that has already happened lets us know that God is truly with us and that when Jesus rose again, he promised, I will never leave you for I am with you even to the end of the age. And Christ sent his Holy Spirit upon us. And then in the second coming, Christ will return. Our hope and our faith and our trust for the first advent and the second advent go together. One was for a few people to share with many. And one is many for to be gathered together with God. Christ's advent is a big deal. And if we took nothing else away from Mark 13, it's that when Jesus shows up, it's important. It was important then for all that it meant. And it's important now to be attentive, to be watchful, even for something that we'll never see coming completely, not down to the day or hour. It was suggested that the nice thing is, is when someone does say, hey, it's going to be on this day, you at least know that it probably won't be that day because God will not be mocked. But we're told to keep watch. Keep watch. Jesus told that to his disciples as he talks about the second coming. What amazes me about the first advent 
is those that were watching. We'll get to the story in Matthew about the wise men who came from the east bringing gifts from afar. They were watching. They were watching for the first advent of Christ, for the coming of the Messiah into the world. And what, what blows my mind more than anything else about that is who those people were. We don't know a lot about them, but we do know some things that they were not. For one, we know that they are not Israelites. They are not the Hebrew people. They were not Jews. They came from a foreign land. And, and what is most widely understood and accepted and makes the most cogent sense is that these were people that came from the east who were probably the oppressors from Assyria and Babylon who took the people into Israel. As Jed walked us through last week, there was this time of exile where Assyria and Babylon took respectively the northern and the southern kingdom away. Then eventually the exile was over and the people came back. But 14 generations passed, tells us the genealogy in Matthew. And that along the line of those 14 generations, there were people in other countries who were not of the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were waiting for the first advent, who were watching like they were watching a fig tree, and they came. They were watching for all the right signs. These were people who probably originally the first people who got this idea were those who encountered those like Daniel in the lion's den, those like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they believed that this, the God of the Hebrew people, the God who calls himself Yahweh, is real, and that we should pay attention to what these people who are our prisoners right now, we need to pay attention and watch for the signs that they're telling us about. And that all these years later, a few foreigners noticed the star, saw the signs like they could see a fig tree, and come to Bethlehem. Watchfulness. Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to everyone, keep watch. Keep watch even for the thing that you'll never completely see coming. For that is faith and faithfulness in obedience. Maybe one note in this particular chapter, things that maybe leaves us with a note of confusion, is in verse 31, Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In regards to not, I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. We know that people who were alive in Jesus' time, they died. So, was Jesus somehow wrong? No. Where this starts in the beginning of Mark 13 is with the disciples observing the temple. Remember, the first temple was destroyed when the people were taken to exile. After the exile, they rebuilt. And now, at this rebuilt temple, in the beginning of Mark 13... The disciples say to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Jesus is, in fact, right about the temple being destroyed because that does happen in the lifetime of these people. In 70 AD, the second temple, the one that they rebuilt after the exile was finally over, in 70 AD, that temple is destroyed as well, and not one stone was left on top of another. This all came to pass. And to know that the people who had experienced the first advent and the coming of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and all of the glory and power of God being displayed in the church, and then the temple is destroyed, to know that Jesus assured them that this is going to happen. 
and that you don't need the temple anymore because Advent has happened. It's not the building, it's not the location of the city. It is your heart that is now God's temple in the already and the not yet, just like we are. So if that's a view of why this makes sense, hopefully, as we think about the first advent and the second advent, as we identify with with all the others in Scripture who are waiting for the coming of Christ, and as we are those who wait for Christ's return, this is all fine and good. But how do we bring it into this week? How do we heed Jesus' words? What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And is there a specific way that we do that in the Christmas season? There's a lot of things that we watch this time of year. How many of you are watching your calendars fill up? How many of you are uh, negotiating? And I say negotiating um, because it feels like hostage negotiations when you're going to meet with which side of the family. How many of you are watching your gift lists, making sure that you do get something for everyone that you need to? We're watching our bank accounts to make sure we have money to buy the gifts that we need. We're watching our backs to make sure that when we do buy gifts for someone who's actually with us, that we can hide it well enough to bring it to the car so that they'll never see it. We're watching all kinds of different things. We're watching for good deals so that we can finish up our, our reading or our shopping. We're watching for all kinds of different things. Sometimes that watching, all of the attention that is asked for in all different areas of life can take us away from the one watching that Christ called us to watch for, and that is for Christ at work. It seems to be my theme for the week. I want to share a poem with you. This poem was written by um, William Henry. It's my dad, actually, William Henry DeVries. My dad and I finished this poem yesterday. We did a little spoof on uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas as we consider all of the things that can take away our time and attention in this season of year. And so if, uh, if poetry is your thing, don't worry, you'll soon find out that it's not really my thing either. <laughs> but nonetheless, I invite you to hear Twas the Month Before Christmas and wonder if anything fits for you in this, if anything strikes home, if there's anything about your watching that you're doing that is captured in these uh, uh, verses and stanzas. "'Twas the month before Christmas and all through the land, people stormed retail stores, credit cards in hand. Gifts must be bought in stores and online to find just the right gift and in the nick of time. And I think the stores are all crowded, the parking lot's packed, but if I shop online, my card might get hacked. Some gifts are big and some gifts are small, and I'm just weary of buying them at all. Which one looks better, the blue or the red? Maybe I'll just buy a gift card instead. My holiday gatherings are planned, all the guests and family invited. But with all the added stress, I don't feel all that delighted. Ornaments and trees and garlands and wreath decorating my house causes me much stress and grief. And I go to some gatherings that I don't want to go to at all. Some are large crowds, bah, and some are small. I have to keep up with family and workplace tradition because not attending would be perceived as sedition. I struggle and stress to keep everyone happy. Is this what Jesus wanted for me to end up so crabby? I realize it wasn't the Grinch who stole holiday cheer. It was all my own doing of anxiety and fear. 
My time to focus on Christmas joy has been replaced instead by tasks that annoy. In a time when we're called to wait and keep watch and be blessed, it seems instead I find myself oh so incredibly stressed. The shopping, the bargains, the season of lights leads to shoving and pushing and occasional fights. It's like we repented of Thanksgiving with consumerism and greed. Merry Christmas to all. Merry Christmas indeed. And one more thing that brings out the cynic in me is watching people being targeted unfairly. For smooth-talking men with hair full of varnish talk people into holiday deals that will lead to their wages being garnished. For no Christmas season would be complete without credit card pitches that seem like a treat, marketed especially to those who are in desperate need in hopes that the fine print they'll choose not to read. For the balances we know they'll never be able to pay back, and the interest will overwhelm them like a weight on their back. So run through this busy season like a crazy game of Red Rover, but I just sit in my chair and wish it was over. Do you ever identify with that? The stress of the Christmas season? Supposed to be this joyous time of expectation, reminding us that Christ has come and Christ will come again. And instead, it's just the busiest time of the year. And it's stressful. And everything asks for our time and attention. And yet Jesus reminds us that we are the servants left in charge of the house. So do your tasks, but keep awake and watch. And watch for what? Watching all the other things that we have to watch. It's inevitable. But watching for Christ at work. Watching for Christ at work in the world because we need to hear that good news that Christ is living and is still alive in the world. And watching for Christ at work even in your own life that you can testify, that you know that you will not miss those moments where you are being called by God to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in a particular time and occasion. To watch to watch for those opportunities, to not miss them, to not be overwhelmed by all the other stuff, but to stay awake and keep watch for the true meaning of the season, to see Christ at work, to see Christ manifested all around us, and to manifest Christ's love in the season where we celebrate the Prince of Peace coming into the world, to do just that for a world that needs to know that there is peace and hope, that there is joy and love. Keep watch for Christ at work. And watch yourself so closely to not miss opportunities. All the busy stuff is still going to happen. We'll buy gifts. Maybe we'll opt out and buy someone a chicken or a cow instead because it's easier. And could be very meaningful. We'll do all of that stuff. But even in those moments, can we watch for what God might be up to even in the midst of it? Maybe you love to go to all of your holiday gatherings. I think I actually overall do. But you know stories, or maybe you live it yourself, of the family gatherings that nobody wants to go to. Maybe it's a workplace thing that you just have to do. Is there a moment to be found of Christ at work? Is there one person worth connecting to for a kind word, a reminder of friendship? In the gift-giving Are we seeking to bless or to impress? Can it be simple enough that we can keep watch for some way in which we can speak Christ's peace into troubled times? All the other stuff will happen around us, 
but can we watch ourselves to make sure that we're watching for the right thing, for Christ at work, to live as people who celebrate the first coming of Christ, even in this busy season of the year, but people who live with the joy and expectation of Christ's return when he will set all things new. Let's not get so caught up in all of the other watching that we miss out on watching for the true hope of Advent, which is Jesus Christ, Son of God, coming into the world.